0: All right, everyone, welcome to the Toasty Kettle Podcast, where we help you connect with the past through food. My name is James, I'm your host, and today is episode 56. Before I dive into today's show, I wanted to thank each of you for tuning in. We're off to an incredible start to September as far as listeners, more and more of you are finding the show and listening for the first time, so welcome. It's good to have you as always, if you like what you hear, make sure you leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts and tell a friend about the show. It's always much appreciated and it's really going to help grow the show for today's show. We're going to go beyond earth to explore space food. Now I've always been a little bit of a sci-fi nut. And today I'm going to indulge that side of me and uh, talk about space and food. Last week's episode, we talked about instant noodles and how the first instant noodles were eaten in space in 2005. And I've been wanting to talk about the history of space and military food for a while, so we're going to combine it all into a two-part episode. Today, we're going to talk about space. Next week, we're going to talk about military food, the history there, the rations, and everything you want to know about that. The world was forever changed when on April 12th, 1961, Yuri Gagarin, completed a single orbit around the Earth. His flight through space lasted 108 minutes as he orbited the Earth that single time. Alan Shepard followed suit as the United States sent one of their own into orbit on May 5, 1961, just a little under a month later. With these incredible feats of technology and bravery, determination, Mankind was forever changed. Initially, these flights were just a few minutes, and as a result, there was no need for meals in flight. However, that quickly changed dramatically. It wasn't long until flights began to last several days, and the longest string of consecutive days in space came when Russian Valery Polyakov spent 438 consecutive days in space. So, yeah, you're going to eat, right? (laughs) When that much time is being spent in space, food becomes more important than ever. So, what was the first meal in space? Early astronauts were truly brave men who experienced some incredible adventures. And I don't think I can think of a job that's filled with more dangers and unknowns than those early space flights. Scientists simply didn't know how the human body was going to hold up to the stresses of space flight, the vacuum of space, and there was a lot that these astronauts were experiencing with firsthand. They were the guinea pigs. And this lack of knowledge became apparent with the food that early astronauts ate. Scientists didn't know what a zero-gravity environment would do to the body when food was consumed. They didn't know if food would stay down or if nutrients would be absorbed in space. And this led to food that had function and purpose but lacked flavor and texture and creativity. Most of these mills, these first mills, were semi-liquid concoctions that were squeezed through an aluminum tube that resembled a tube of toothpaste. They also had small chunks of dehydrated food that was rehydrated in the astronauts' mouths along with sugar tablets. Yum. Sounds appetizing. Now, I want you to take a trip through time and distance with me to Cape Canaveral, Florida. Now, in in 1998, I went to Cape Canaveral, Florida on a family vacation. I was able to watch John Glenn launch on the space shuttle, and become the oldest man in space. So on this date, on February 20th, 1962, John Glenn is again, he's getting ready to go into space for the first time, and uh, he boarded the Friendship 7 spacecraft. He was strapped in and began waiting for the final checks before he'd lift off. Now, his launch day had originally been set for January 16th, However, it was postponed to January 20th due to problems with the fuel tanks. Then the launch day slipped day after day until hitting January 27th because of poor weather. Now, I've lived in Florida, and the weather there can change almost instantly. It can be a beautiful day and then become a crazy thunderstorm, torrential downpour. They have crazy weather in in, uh, Florida, and so again... Due to poor weather, they postponed the launch. The launch was again postponed on January 27th with 29 minutes left because the launch director noticed thick clouds moving in that would have made it impossible to film the launch. The launch was again postponed until February 1st. Two days before launch on January 30th, technicians found that a fuel leak had soaked an internal insulation blanket and that caused a two-week delay while repairs were made. Finally, as the new launch date of February 14th rolled closer, they canceled yet again because of weather. On February 18th, the weather started to clear, and the launch date was scheduled for February 20th. Now, with all those reschedules, I wish I knew what was going on in John Glenn's mind as he boarded Friendship 7 on February 20th. Was this it? Was today going to be the actual day that he launched? It looked like more delays were in store. As he sat there waiting for technicians to bolt the door shut, they found a broken bolt after securing most of the 70 hatch bolts. This caused a 42 minute delay while the bolts were removed and a repair was made. The gantry was removed, that's what holds the rocket up, and it looked like launch was imminent. The count was then held for 25 minutes while a liquid oxygen propellant valve was repaired. After multiple reschedules spanning several weeks, two hours and 17 minutes of holds, and three hours and 44 minutes after John Glenn entered the capsule, engineer T.J. O'Malley pressed the button and Friendship 7 launched. O'Malley famously said, the good Lord ride all the way. Capsule communicator Scott Carpenter said the famous phrase, Godspeed, John Glenn. However, John didn't hear what Carpenter said due to a problem problem with the radio. Now, with all of these delays, weather, problems with the fuel systems, fuel valves, fuel leaking, bolts on the door, John Glenn, being a brave man, decided to go forward with launching on Friendship 7. And once in space... They had issues continue. I'm not going to go into detail about these other issues that were experienced, but it's an incredible story. You should look it up absolutely 100%. But once in space, John Glenn orbited the earth three times. The entire mission lasted four hours and 55 minutes and 30 seconds. And while er orbiting the earth, John Glenn was the first human to eat anything in space. John answered some important questions about food and space. His meal was simple. It was just applesauce, sugar tablets, and water. However, the simple meal showed that humans could indeed chew, swallow, and digest food in space. So after the Mercury program, Gemini was the next program up. And space food continued to evolve. Freeze-dried foods that had 99% of their moisture removed to reduce weight became very common. Each meal had an average nutrient breakdown of seventy percent protein, fat, and 51% carbohydrates. The dehydrated foods were coated in oil or gelatin to help prevent crumbling. Again, you don't want crumbs in space. Hydrogen, oxygen, fuel cells on board provided a source of water to help rehydrate the food. Another space food milestone happened on these Gemini missions. The first solid food was consumed. (laughs) Astronauts needed more than applesauce. Astronaut John Young carried two mil packages to sample on his five-hour mission, and while in orbit, Young gave a corned beef sandwich on rye, which he brought before boarding, which he bought before boarding, excuse me, to fellow astronaut Virgil Grish- Grissom. He only ate a small portion of it because crumbs were becoming an issue. I thought this was very interesting and also very curious how he was able to sneak that sandwich on board how he was able to purchase it before the flight, and how he was able to sneak it on board. Next up, we have the Apollo missions. and the Apollo missions, the famous moon landing, uh, this is where space food gets all sorts of fancy. Rations for astronauts increased from 25,000 calories a day with the Gemini missions to 2,800 calories a day with the Apollo missions. And the Apollo missions also introduced hot water. All of the mills on Gemini were made with cold water, so naturally their mills were eaten cold. Apollo astronauts got to live the high life and enjoyed hot mills. Each astronaut also had some organization and structure to their mills. They were in space for multiple days, so they had multiple mills. And each astronaut had their daily mills color-coded. That way they knew exactly whose food was whose. They also had... An in-suit canteen for working on the moon. They could drink water while they worked. Uh, Now, these mills were freeze-dried with a flat nozzle on each container. The astronaut could put the water gun in the nozzle and inject either hot or cold water into the pouch, depending on what their preference was. They then ate the mill by squeezing it through the pouch. Sounds super appetizing. I know. Fun fact, uh, uh, Apollo astronauts on Apollo 11 were treated to thermostabilize turkey and gravy, Thermostabilized meaning they use heat to kill bacteria, as well as fruitcake on Christmas Eve while they were en route to the moon. These meals did not need to be rehydrated. They were not freeze-dried, so they got spoiled. Next up was Skylab. This was a space mission that followed Apollo. Basically, they took a third-stage Saturn V rocket and turned it into a space station. Instead of water-producing fuel cells, the Skylab used solar cells for power. Freeze-dried foods were now limited to help conserve water. They had a full galley to eat their meals, and Skylab introduced another bump in space dining technology—refrigeration. Frozen food was carried up to the Skylab, and— Reheated. Astronauts were able to enjoy a universal favorite in space ice cream. So that brings us to the Space Shuttle program on to present day with the International Space Station. So the Space Shuttle program uh, brought many changes to astronaut meals. For the most part, astronauts eat normal foods that you find on Earth in grocery stores today. The major exception is with cookies and breads. These are modified if they do have them to minimize or eliminate crumbs. Anything that leaves crumbs is left off the menu. Crumbs fly around in the weightless environment and can cause real damage to the electronics and buttons. Not what I want to do with my meals. With the space shuttle program, eight to nine months before flight, crews would have a food evaluation session, and these sessions would allow astronauts to try a variety of foods and lock in their menu for their mission. The food is then packed and shipped to the Kennedy Space Center in Florida where it waits to be loaded on the shuttle. Fresh fruits and veggies are loaded 24 to 36 hours before flight. Food was eaten on the galley in the shuttle. The galley contained a fridge and an oven. Each astronaut received Three meals a day, plus snacks. And it was delicious. Much more appetizing than what you had initially with just applesauce and sugar tablets. On the International Space Station, meals are prepared jointly. The menu rotates every eight days. Half the food system is U.S. and half is Russian. They pair together. Sometimes you're getting U.S. meals. Sometimes you're getting Russian meals. A lot of the food that finds its way up to the space station has a label in English and in Russian. The two countries and crews work together to taste and select menus that that they will eat on their missions. So, That's all I have for you this week. Again, this is part one of a two-part episode. Next week, we're going to talk about the general effects of weightlessness on the body and how meals compensate for that in space, some of the unique nutrition that goes into a well-balanced meal in space, and also talk about the history of military nutrition and rations for soldiers. It's going to be a great episode, so really make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. Again, if you like what you heard, make sure you leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts and tell a friend. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Toasty Kettle. You can also go to ToastyKettle.com to read my show notes and to find vintage recipes. Until next week.